best. Thank you. You know you're good. Alrighty. Um, so yes, we're in Isaiah chapter 29 and chapter 28. We kind of saw this end um, of judgment against Ephraim and Jerusalem, that is Israel and Jerusalem. Um, and the reason why it continues to be judgment upon judgment upon the people is because they keep on turning to the world for their security. And it's just, God keeps on saying, no, 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 don't go there. It's going to lead to disaster. And it always leads to disaster. Um, and the prophet keeps reminding the people, hey, turn. Turn toward God. He says that he will last forever. He is unfading, as we read today with the children. Um, all these other things are going to fade, and yet they keep on continuing on. Um, and so in chapter 29, we see how this kind of culminates in the siege against Jerusalem as time goes on. And now we're going to read the rest of the chapter today. Um, so a few things, though, with our maps. Um, that way we can keep on looking to see what's happening and where we're at. Again, Assyria is the major power at the time. Um, and we're not sure if at this point Israel has already been destroyed or scattered by Assyria. Um, where here Assyria and Israel would have already been attacked probably. Um, and if we go to the next one to uh, a little bit more. Actually go to the next one. Why not? One more. We'll look a little bit more closely at where we're at today. Next, next slide. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. It doesn't want to go it seems Robin. Now we're at the end. How did that happen? It's jumping around on us. All right, well, basically, though, um, Israel and Judah are, are kind of, again, in their faithlessness toward God, and that's continuing to be shown. Um, so Dan will go over there. We're still good. I'll go ahead and keep on reading, and hopefully the slides will catch up. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and read those for now, and then we'll get them uh, situated. But starting with verse 15. Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, Who sees us? Who knows us? You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay, that the thing made should say of its maker, He did not make me? Or the thing formed say of him who formed it, He has no understanding? So the chapter continues as Isaiah considers the state of the mind of the people. That they attempt to hide deep does not mean that they literally are hiding somewhere, nor are their deeds literally in the dark. Instead, Isaiah is reflecting on, again, their state of mind. They do not even consider the Lord when it comes to the decisions that they make or the actions that they take. They think, who sees us? Who knows? Well, God sees, and God knows. And Isaiah continues to with this criticism. By not seeking God and what is right and what is wrong, and how they should think and what they should do, they have essentially placed themselves above God. They believe that they are enough to understand and act out in the world. They place the created above the creator. Hence the absurdity of the clay saying to the potter, you did not make me or you do not understand me. But what do they do? They are like the clay which says to the potter, why have you made me this way? Or you do not understand Again, they place themselves above God as though he were beneath them. And the absurdity of clay saying this to the potter should make us all wonder aloud how they could think so absurdly about this world. Now we come to verses 17 through 21. It is not yet a very little while, is it not yet a very little while, until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest. 
In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. For the ruthless shall come to nothing, and the scoffer cease, and all who watch to do evil shall be cut off. Who by word make a man out to be an offender, and lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate, and with an empty plea turn aside him who is in the right. As it is, though the people had turned the world upside down by placing themselves above God, it will come a time when there will be a reversal again. Isaiah's first uh, uses natural imagery for this, as Lebanon is known for its forests, the cedars of Lebanon. Yet here, we find it is turned into a field, and once the field is turned into a forest. But what does this imagery mean? It is found further in the deaf and the blind. The deaf who are unable to hear, yet here we find the deaf are able to hear. Likewise, the blind who were previously unable to see are now able to see. In context, it does not need to be taken literally, though we do know that in Christ it is quite literally happened. As we saw last week, the seers and the prophets, those who saw and spoke, were blinded and silenced. Now we find the people no longer deaf and blind, but able to hear and see. The scroll that they were unable to read in the previous part of the chapter is now open. Indeed, whereas oftentimes the meek are crushed below and forgotten, now we find them to be lifted up. They find joy in the Lord. And the poor, who are often neglected by society, will exalt, they will glorify in God. Thus in this we find a complete and utter reversal. Whereas the people are currently hiding from God, now we find them rejoicing in God. Whereas once they sought their own ways, now they seek God's ways. But what of the powerful of the world? Those who are ruthless who continue in their schemes and following their own ways, those who oppress others in order to get their way, the ones who take advantage of others, so they may seem powerful now to themselves and those around them, they will come to nothing. They will fade. They will not continue on. They will have no future. The same too with the unwise scoffer who mocks God and his ways, mocks morality and ethics and truth. They will not continue. Those who seek to do evil in the world, who find peace and prosperity and chaos in society, they will not continue. Those who, by word, make a man out to be an offender is an interesting statement. But what this simply means is those who slander. This is the individual who bears false witness against their neighbor, and in turn the neighbor goes to prison or faces propped up charges. This is further seen in that they are lay a snare at the gate. The gate is where the elders of the cities would be to hear court cases. For those who remember, it was at the gate where Boaz sought to marry Ruth. But before he was able to, he had to go through the legal proceedings. It was at the gate this occurred. Those who make others out to be bad, but in truth are actually very good. Thus, these individuals who abuse the political and the legal systems in order to subvert justice. Such individuals as these, the ruthless, the scoffers, the evildoers, the liars, and the unjust, will come to an end. And now verses 22 through 24. Therefore thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob, 
shall no more be ashamed, no more shall his face grow pale. For when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name, they will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob, and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. And those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding, and those who murmur will accept instruction. The people of God had been the ones who were both deaf and blind. Now, however, God is giving them hope. Jacob, implying the people of God, will no longer be ashamed, and no more will they be helpless and hopeless. Indeed, a day is coming when the faithful will see the blessings of God before them. This is first seen in progeny. As we remember, children are a blessing from God. What could be a greater blessing, however, than to see our physical and our spiritual children seeking after God? Not being blinded by the world, but knowing the truth. God promises this to be the case for Jacob, for the faithful. This is seen not in themselves, but in their relationship to God. They make God's name holy. Some commentators consider the Lord's prayer, hallowed be thy name. So it is with the people. They have been delivered. And in their deliverance, they will see God as he is and worship him and have the proper relationship with him. They will not lord over him, but he will be the lord over them. Those who were once in darkness have seen a great light. They who were once being led astray by visions and wisdom which were contrary to God now are led to proper understanding of reality and the world. Likewise, those who once claimed to have knowledge will now receive instruction from the Lord. They will no longer seek their own way, but will seek and find the truth. Now this leads us to the main point of these verses. The main point of these verses are to close out what was started in chapter 28. We have seen how the people of God are being led astray by the world and its promises for peace. Yet every time they do, they experience disaster instead. Now, God is showing them the better way. A world where sin is taken care of, where those who are oppressed will no longer be oppressed, nor the oppressor continue. Where the sinners are dealt with, and that which led the people astray will no longer do so. In their deliverance, the people will know God, they will worship him, and follow him as they should. So as we continue through Isaiah, I am continually struck by the prophet and how what he says relates to our own society. Over and over again, we are able to see what following the world looks like and the repercussions which come from following it. It was true for their time, and it is true for ours. God calls us to himself to trust in him and shows us that relying on anything other than him is folly. This is the grand truth that Isaiah has continually hammered away. But why is this emphasized so greatly? Because his own people were not following after God. Instead of doing what was right in God's eyes, they were doing what was right in their own eyes. They relied on their own wisdom to discern the world around them and decided to act based upon what they were seeing. Unfortunately, our own culture and society is much the same as Isaiah's. We continually see a world which is turned upside down. A world where we, in our finite knowledge and powers, attempt to usurp God as being the authority. We take the crown which belongs to God and we seek to place it on our own heads as though we were the kings and queens of the universe. 
Thus, we end up being the creators instead of the created. In this way, we can interpret everything based upon ourselves or our group identities. If I want to change my gender, then there is no one who can stop me because I create reality. You do not. Conversely, if I want 2 plus 2 to equal 5, then there is no one who can tell me otherwise because I can simply fall back on it being true for me, but not for thee. The problem with this, however, is that reality does not work this way. If I were to try to utilize 2 plus 2 equals 5 in the world, none of my mathematical problems would be right, and I would end up becoming increasingly isolated because of this. In other words, every time we try to define reality based upon ourselves or our people groups, we end up confronting the same problem, actual reality. Imagine, if you will, and since Dan is here, I'm going to make fun of you. Dan and I are driving together in a car. As we're driving along, Dan spots something in the middle of the road. He says, hey, don't run into that thing in the middle of the road. I respond, there is nothing in the middle of the road. Which one of us is right? Well, reality will tell when we arrive at that spot. Either we will run into something or we will not. It doesn't matter if there are a million people who agree with me or a million people who agree with Dan. In the end, a million people are going to be wrong. So it is when we try to live apart from God. Even if there are a million people who believe living without God will lead to a better world, it doesn't matter because in the end, reality always sets back in. This is what makes Isaiah such an interesting prophet. He looks around his culture, his society, sees the godlessness of it all, and comes to the only reasonable conclusion. This is going to lead to a worse society and ultimately judgment. Because that is the case whenever a culture or society seeks its own way. We have never seen a society based on human understanding and reasoning alone which has been able to sustain itself. When we rely on ourselves to define what is just, what is moral, what is ethical, then we will find too many contradictions which, which end up causing the society to fail. Whether it be the ancient past, such as with the various empires which arose, or more recent past, such as with communism with the Soviet Union, or the popularism in the Nazi Germany, or even now with our own time. We find beliefs and understandings which are contrary to what we learn from God. Whether it be in postmodernism, which says that truth is relative based upon whatever group you belong to, neo-Marxism, which seeks to define justice by arbitrarily, arbitrarily deciding who is oppressed and who is the oppressor, or naturalism, which seeks to understand the world only through time plus matter plus chance. Each of these understandings ends up becoming a contradiction and self-defeating. That is, they fail to truly explain reality, and they end up undercutting themselves. Consider postmodernism. There is no absolute truth. What's self-defeating about this statement? This statement is an absolute truth statement. That there is no absolute truth is an absolute. Thus, postmodernism ends up defeating itself. Consider neo-Marxism and its justice system. What happens if a neo-Marxist oppresses me? If I am being oppressed by the neo-Marxist, shouldn't I have the right to rise up against the neo-Marxist? If so, the neo-Marxism is self-defeating. Finally, with naturalism, the idea that all that exists is the material world. Nothing beyond the physical world exists. 
What's the problem with this? The statement, all that exists in the material world, is a metaphysical statement. The statement itself does not exist in the physical world, but in the realm of ideals. ideas. Thus, naturalism defeats itself. The reason why these things are so flawed is because they are upside down. They all start with us, and then they attempt to cause us to rise above to great ideals. But the truth is, we are not able to reach the great heights which they claim. No, the great heights must come down to us. As it is, the great heights have come down. God, who is far above all else, has come down to us. He exists. And not only does he exist, but he has also spoken to us. And speaking to us, he has revealed himself to us. The eternal one has given us knowledge of the higher ideals which humanity seeks. He tells us the way to achieve them is not through ourselves, our own understanding, but by following him. He has accomplished this great deed apart from anything we could have done. He has managed to give us exactly what we need in order to transcend these earthen dreams. How has he done it? Through giving himself to us. That he is the ultimate goal, the ultimate source of all that is good, all that is heavenly, and all that is beautiful and wonderful. He who holds all this universe in his hands has made himself known like our own breath, able to be reached, able to be known. It is in him we find justice, righteousness, mercy, and love. It is in him we find knowledge, wisdom, and power. It is in him we are able to understand the great depths and mysteries. It is through him we are able to know and be known. It is through him we are able to be loved and love. So it should not shock us when Isaiah criticizes the people so harshly. Because the truth is we need to be criticized if we continue to place our faith not in God in the one, in the eternal good, but in ourselves and our own understandings. If we are lax in recognizing this great God, then we deserve as much chastisement as the people of old. We also need to be just as cautious. For the world we live in always tries to lay its snares so that we stumble and fall. It is always attempting to get us to follow its understanding, its ways, its wisdom, its vision. It does so because it seeks our destruction. And when we follow it, we find our own destruction. Our societies, our cultures, and even our very persons are devastated by the world and sin. Oftentimes we believe God must act in order for judgment to come. But far more often, God simply needs to step back. For we are more often than not, we're capable of bringing forth our own destruction. Like lemmings running off of a cliff, not heeding what is ahead of us. So are we the more we continue to rely and trust on the world and our own devices. Yes, we need to be cautious. For the truth is, none of these things are capable of sustaining us. There is only one on whom we can place all of reality, and he will not share his place with anyone or anything. Thankfully, we know the reality of God. And knowing this, it gives us incredible hope and reason for our faith. He provides all that we need for this life. Not only regarding food and water, but even for things like purpose, meaning, and value, and all of reality. Is there anything which could possibly come close to the wonder and the majesty of God knowing all of this? For this, we should give thanks. He takes that which is so broken in and around us and heals us. Only he is capable. 
Only he is able, and thanks be to God that he has done it. He has done what is truly impossible for us. He has managed to do it all on his own. Even now, as we consider the greatness of his redemption, we find him take our upside-down worlds and turn them right-side up again. Sorry, I didn't realize it was going to be so short this week. (laughs) But everyone's okay with that, right? I don't want to hear any grumbling. Anyway, um, so this leads us to the gospel, of course. And I think that the gospel is very much seen in this passage in Isaiah. Um, You know, it all starts with our origins. We're all created an image of God. And this is important because God is the creator. As we learn in this passage, we are not the maker. We We are the clay. He's the potter. And he's created this whole universe, this whole reality for us to experience. And the blessing is for each of us is that we're made in his image. And so it shouldn't shock us that we do try to reach for those ideals because we're made in his image. We try it because we see this world and we see brokenness. We're able to reason through it. The problem is we always try to come up with an answer other than what God provides. And whenever we try to do that, it leads to further sinfulness. It leads to further devastation. And admittedly, I've been reading recently a a bit more on communism in the Soviet Union um, and the Soviet bloc in particular. And, you know, their idea was, you know, there's an oppressed people group, the the poor, and we want to make everyone equal. In theory, it's a good idea. The problem is you have Stalin who kills a bunch of people to do it. And that's the problem, right, is that as soon as we try to reach for the ideal, the contradictions will seep its way in. It's only in Christianity that we actually find a complete understanding of why and how we should do all these things in reality. But that's the problem. As soon as we try to do it ourselves, it leads to our destruction. It leads to further devastation. We end up murdering people because we think it's for the best. We end up trying to destroy dissidents, so to speak for our political ideologies. We try to do whatever we can to crush everyone around us. Why do we have that sense? When it comes to this society now, I mean, we see the devastation and morality. Sexual immorality runs rampant. We see how truth is just played with every day in the media. So it's really hard to know what is true and what's not true. No, it's because we're sinners that this stuff happens in our societies. It's because we break God's law that we have this happen repeatedly. And our society isn't the first one to have this happen. Look back in history and you see it over and over and over again. It's like a cycle with humanity. And the reason why it happens is because we're fallen. Because that which was created so wonderfully sins. And it's even hard though, right? Because even as Christians, and I love our men's group because we're so honest with each other, right Dan? We're, we're pretty honest and we're like, we, we struggle. <laughs> even those of us who know, <laughs> struggle. Imagine how hard it is for the world where there's no struggling at all. Where they just give in every day. And that's our world. But this is where I can say thanks be to God. This is why at the end of this chapter, it's so significant for us. Because God doesn't leave us to our blindness forever. He has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us through his life, death, and resurrection in time, space, history, and flesh. So that those who were once blind can see, those who were once deaf can hear. Those who are very much like we were prior to our salvation can be saved. 
And we know that because we know what we once were. We know that we were deaf and blind. So there's eternal hope for Christians. There's eternal hope for the world because of Christ. But it's only in him that we find our hope. Anything else, whether it be political, ideological, whatever, it's not going to be enough. Only in Christ will you find the perfect image, all the ideals that we reach. And thanks be to God that he has brought us Christ. That he has brought us this salvation. And we already see where it's heading. And we see it in our own congregation as we gather together. And as we love one another, we see the future of glory. Glimpses of it. In our small groups as we gather with the women gathering together and that love, that bond that's there. And then the men that gather together and the love and the fellowship that we have together. We see glimpses of the future of what it's going to be like for eternity with each other and with God. And so we rejoice. Yes, the world is in darkness. Yes, it can be overbearing. Yes, we're going to stumble. But we know who wins. And we know that the only true source of light for our world is not found in ourselves, but in God. And he has made himself known. Let's rejoice in this and let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for all that you have accomplished through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are truly the God of all, that nothing compares to you, that in you we find all of the ideals, all of the hopes, all of the dreams and the aspirations that we can have are found in the person of Jesus Christ in you, our God. And so, Lord, as we continue forward, taking each step day at a time, we ask that you would give us wisdom and strength to confront the world, to speak the truth, to not be hindered, but instead to have our eyes wide open and know all that we see around us, that we would not be ensnared, but that we would be set free, and that you would use us to continue that goal of setting free other people. We are your instruments, Lord. You are the potter. We are the clay. We ask that you would mold us to your liking. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Please rise.